scripture reading this morning is going to be in the book of Acts, looking at uh, chapter 21, uh, verses 17 through 36. Go ahead and remain seated, and I will read these verses for us. Acts 21, verses 17 through 36. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related, one by one, the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them to circumcise their children or walk Uh, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together, They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the uh, the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Our Father and God, we ask now that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. Uh, Help us to learn from the example of the Apostle Paul today. Pray that you would give clarity on this text and that each of us would take away principles uh, from the example of your servant Paul here in the book of Acts. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We are continuing our study of the book of Acts, and this morning we're beginning really a new section of the book. Uh, The last several chapters have been following the Apostle Paul as he's uh, traveling around from one place to the other, uh, preaching the gospel, establishing churches, and all of that is now over. Uh, We are done with Paul's missionary's journeys. He is no longer going to be uh, free to travel and to to preach publicly like he once was. 
Today we read of the arrest of the Apostle Paul at Jerusalem. And what follows in the next several chapters of Acts is Paul in prison, standing before leaders, being transferred from one prison to another. Uh, All the while, Paul does his best to preach the gospel to whoever is around him, but he will never again have the freedom that he once enjoyed. Now, in order to understand the text this morning, you really have to have a decent understanding of Judaism and what it meant to be a Jew. If you don't, then this text won't make a lot of sense to you. So we need to begin by just trying to get into the mindset of a first century Jew. Uh, What was it like living in Jerusalem as a Jew during this time? First of all, Judaism was a religion. Uh, The Jews were followers of Yahweh. Uh, Their scriptures were the books that we today refer to as the Old Testament. They called them the Law and the Prophets. Jews were committed monotheists. Uh, They worshipped one God. They believed that Yahweh was the one true and living God, and that worshipping any other false gods was a terrible sin uh, that would bring down the judgment of God upon you. Judaism was a religion. Secondly, Judaism was an ethnicity. It wasn't just a religion, it was a race because God had chosen way back in Genesis to establish a covenant with the Jewish people. And so the Jews understood themselves as a people that were God's chosen ones, a unique nation that God had set his love on and established his covenant with. And so being a Jew didn't just mean that you believed the Old Testament scriptures and you worshipped the God Yahweh. It also meant that you were a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Your parents were Jewish. Their parents were Jewish. All of your family was Jewish. It was your national identity. And so religion and family was all intertwined in Judaism, which meant to forsake Judaism wasn't merely changing religions. It was abandoning your family, turning your back on centuries of tradition of your ancestors. It would be betraying your people. Judaism not only was a religion and an ethnicity, but thirdly, Judaism was a way of life. Uh, Being a Jew didn't just mean you believed certain things, but you also did certain things. There were certain foods that Jews never ate, Uh, meats that were declared unclean way back in the days of Moses. Uh, Thousands of years later, the, the Jews still do not eat those foods. Being a Jew meant carefully observing the Sabbath. Every Saturday, you did no work. Uh, You took the whole day off and you you went to the synagogue. You heard teaching from the local rabbi. Being a Jew also meant observing the feast days like Passover and Pentecost, bringing sacrifices, uh, coming to the temple in Jerusalem, wherever you were from. At least once a year during Passover, the Jews would come to Jerusalem. And they would offer symbolic sacrifices that go through all these uh, rituals that were a part of the life of a Jew. And so being a Jew was an all-encompassing identity. You were a Jew by your race, you were a Jew by your beliefs, and you were a Jew by your lifestyle. Judaism defined you. Now the Jews were correct that God had chosen them as a people. Uh, They were correct also in reading and studying from the Old Testament scriptures, trying to obey the commands of God. All of that was good and right for them to do. But what they missed was the fact that Jesus was their Messiah, that he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus was the fulfillment of their law. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So the law wasn't bad. 
It had just been fulfilled, and the Jews missed it. They didn't understand that Jesus was what the law had been pointing to all along. As Jesus himself said after his resurrection in Luke chapter 24, he says to his followers, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the Old Testament Jewish scriptures, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So Judaism is fulfilled in Christianity. Jesus was closing the last chapter of the Judaic age, and ushering in the kingdom of God, which included people from every tribe and and people group and nation on earth. But the Jewish people were still stuck in the Old Testament. Some of them had converted to Christianity, like the Apostle Paul, for example. Uh, But most of the Jews were still stuck in the old way of doing things. Uh, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul says all of those rituals and customs that were a part of Judaism, those were shadows of things to come. They were pointing to Christ, Paul says. And so every time that you offered a lamb as a sacrifice in the temple, it was a picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus who would come and die in our place on the cross, taking our sins upon himself. And so now that the reality had come, the representations, the shadows of that reality were no longer needed. But the Jews were clinging to their sacrificial system, and they completely missed who it was pointing to. I was at work this Friday thinking of a way to illustrate this, and as I was thinking about it, I got a text Uh, that my niece had been born. So this is Daisy, uh, just a few hours old at this point. Uh, Just last Sunday, I was uh, at lunch with some of my family. My sister was there. She was very pregnant and uh, ready to get this child out of her. And it was pretty much all that we were thinking about, all that we were talking about, the, the anticipation of this baby's arrival. And one of the most amazing aspects of our technological age to me is the fact that even while the baby is in the womb, uh, you can get a glimpse of what they will look like in the ultrasound. Some of those ultrasound machines are uh, really impressive. You can see very clearly uh, the baby in the womb. And usually parents will get a few prints of the ultrasound. They'll spend some time looking at that, showing it to their friends nowadays, uh, posting it on social media, that sort of thing. The ultrasound is an amazing glimpse, a shadow of what's to come. But eventually the day comes when the baby is born. And while the ultrasound is cool and impressive, it's nothing compared to actually holding the baby in your arms. The Jews had substituted the baby for the ultrasound. Uh, They were so fixated on the shadow of what was to come in Christ, so much so that they didn't pay attention to Christ when he actually came. They were so wrapped up in the pictures, the rituals of Judaism that they missed out on what all of those things were pointing to all along. They were obsessing over the shadows and ignoring the reality. Jesus, the fulfillment of their law. 
And so all of this brings us now to Paul in Jerusalem, because what we're going to see is the clash of Judaism with Christianity. Uh, Jerusalem was the center of Judaism. Right at the heart of the city was, of course, the massive temple of the Jews. And during this time when Paul arrives, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of Jews, would have traveled here to Jerusalem for the observance of the feast days. The Jews of Jerusalem viewed Paul as an enemy of their religion, their identity, their whole way of life. Uh, Because Paul was preaching that Jesus was the fulfillment of their law. They viewed that as Paul attacking their whole existence as Jews. And what really concerned them is he was being successful. Jews were abandoning their former way of life and they were becoming followers of Jesus. And what's more is Paul was also letting Gentiles in. We've seen that throughout the book of Acts. Uh, He's not just preaching to the Jews that their Messiah had come. He's also preaching to the non-Jews and telling them that they too could become a part of the kingdom of God without even being circumcised, without following the Old Testament laws and rituals. And so, uh, so Paul was, in the eyes of the Jews, a heretic. He was a false teacher leading people astray after this Jesus fellow. And this should help explain to us why they reacted so violently when Paul comes into town. We pick up the text in verse 17 of Acts 21, where Luke writes, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly, speaking of the church there. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. So they go to the church, they no doubt present that offering. You remember they had been uh, collecting uh, contributions from other churches to bring to Jerusalem. Verse 19, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Paul gives here a report of all that's taken place in the last few years of his ministry since he's been with them. Uh, Notice Paul's wording in verse 19. He told them of all the things that God had done. Uh, Paul understood that he wasn't doing this in his own power. Uh, He doesn't even just say, I did this with God's help. He says, no, God did this through me. Uh, Notice also that Paul says that God was doing these things among the Gentiles. So this was a report to the primarily Jewish church in Jerusalem about all that God was doing among the Gentiles. How people from every ethnic background and all sorts of pagan religions were committing their life to follow Christ, and they were being added to the church. And so in this meeting here in verse 19, you really have the representatives of both sides of the church meeting together. You have James, the leader of the Jewish church in Jerusalem, and Paul, the leader of the Gentile church in other regions. And so with James, you have the elders of the Jerusalem church, with Paul, the representatives from each of the Gentile churches where he had collected those offerings. And so as Paul presents his ministry and all that God has done in the, in the previous years, uh, verse 20 says, when they heard it, they glorified God. And so here you see the Jewish church and the Gentile church coming together uh, in unity and celebration over what God was doing. <clears throat> then at the end of verse 20, <clears throat> James and, and the other elders presents a problem to the uh, Apostle Paul. They say to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. So here in Jerusalem, again, the church is primarily made up of uh, converts from Judaism. 
So you remember the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved and added to the church. Those were all Jews. Uh, and that continued onward uh, throughout Acts. At this point, probably tens of thousands of people uh, make up the church at Jerusalem, a, a massive church, uh, primarily a Jewish church. And so they tell Paul that we've got all these thousands, many thousands of Jews here who are a part of our church in Jerusalem now. They've converted to following Christ, but they're still zealous for the law. They're still abiding in their old customs and their way of life as Jews. Verse 21, they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So here is the problem. Uh, Jerusalem, of course, had a high concentration of Jews in its population. Uh, Out of all of these Jews, thousands had converted to Christianity. Of course, many hadn't. Some had rejected Jesus entirely. But many of them, thousands of them at least, had turned to Christ. But they hadn't let go of their Jewish way of life. Uh, There's still this period of transition as the Jews are understanding that Jesus fulfilled their law, yet they're still abiding by their law and their customs and their way of life. It really wasn't until AD 70 when the temple was destroyed that Judaism finally came to a halt. And ever since then, the sacrifices, uh, the rituals, they really can't be done any longer. But at this point in history, around AD 60, the temple is still standing for a few more years. And so you've got this transition period where Some people have converted to Christ, and yet they're still also kind of holding on to their Jewish identity. Now, they had heard that Paul was teaching that the Jews needed to forsake the law of Moses. They're hearing that Paul is telling Jews, it's wrong for you uh, to circumcise your children. It's wrong for you to go to the temple. Uh, You need to just completely cut ties with Judaism, let go of that way of life. Now, this isn't true. Uh, Paul wasn't actually teaching that. This was a distortion of his message. Paul himself was a Jew. Uh, He still abided by some of the Jewish practices. We've seen earlier in Acts that Paul even had uh, Timothy circumcised, so obviously he didn't have a problem with that. Uh, Paul came to Jerusalem the last time with a Nazarite vow. He brought his hair to the temple to burn. You remember all of that. So uh, Paul was still living as a Jew. He was still abiding by the Judaic way of life. And so all of these things that he's heard, that they've heard about Paul, really were not true. Paul understood that you didn't have to live as a Jew in order to be a part of Christ's kingdom, but he had no problem with Jews continuing to do so. And so it's very important to clarify here, this is not about being saved by keeping the law. Uh, It's also not about Gentiles being forced to live as Jews in order to come into the church. Uh, Those things would be wrong. This is about Jews who were now followers of Christ, but they wanted to still abide in their customs and their lifestyle as Jews. That Paul had no problem with. But these Christian Jews in Jerusalem, they had been misinformed about Paul's teaching. And so the elders of the church come up with a way to reassure everyone uh, that Paul is not your enemy. He's not trying to destroy your way of life and your customs. So verse 22, they say to Paul, Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. This is referring again to the Nazarite vow we saw a few chapters ago with Paul, uh, where people would take a vow for a period of time to consecrate themselves uh, to the Lord. They would drink no wine during this time. Uh, They would let their hair grow out long, and then at the end of it, they would cut their hair 
uh, bring it to the temple. They go through some rituals for a period of seven days. They burn the hair, that sort of thing, uh, all kind of symbolically giving themselves to the Lord's service during this time. And so there were four men here at the Church of Jerusalem who were under this vow. Uh, Verse 24, they say to Paul, take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So they advise Paul to go with these brothers, uh, perform the Jewish ritual so that everybody will see you're not anti-Judaism, you're not uh, attacking their way of life. They will know that this is a Uh, They've been misinformed when they see you do this. Verse 25, But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. That's a reference back uh, to Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, uh, where Paul and the others had sent a letter out to all of the non-Jewish Christians telling them you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to live as a Jew, you don't have to follow all the sacrifices Uh, in order to be a Christian. And so everybody was in agreement about that. There's no uh, disagreement here between James and Paul. They're uh, totally unified on this point. Verse 26, Then Paul took the men. Uh, Apparently he agreed with this idea. He takes them. The next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So this action by Paul brings the church together. Uh, Jew and Gentile becoming one in Christ. And Paul was willing to do this if it would help to bring about unity in the church. Uh, Notice this also cost him financially. He's paying for these other brothers for their uh, rituals and things at the temple. And yet Paul was willing to do this if it would help unify the church at Jerusalem. Now in verses 27 and following, trouble comes. And this is not uh, the Jewish Christians who caused the problem. This is the Uh, Jews from Asia. Uh, So these are some traveling Jews who come here, probably from Ephesus, and so they know Paul quite well. Uh, They've heard him preaching and uh, and leading people to Christ there in Ephesus. And so they travel down to Jerusalem for the feast day, and they see Paul, and they decide to stir up a mob and try to kill him. Verse 27, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So, important to understand, none of what they said here is actually true. Paul wasn't teaching everyone everywhere against Judaism or against the temple. He literally came to the temple to perform a ritual. So, of course, he's not anti-temple. That was a misunderstanding of Paul's teaching. And Paul hadn't actually brought any Gentiles into the temple, which was forbidden by law. In fact, you would get the death penalty. Uh, The Romans upholded the Jewish law here. And so if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, you you walked into the inner parts of the temple, uh, you would be killed. They had signs posted everywhere in Greek and in Latin telling uh, non-Jews, stay away from here, enter at your own risk, you know, don't come into this place. But they assumed that Paul had done this, that he had brought uh, Trophimus into the temple just because they saw him 
uh, with Trophimus earlier that day in the city. And so now they see him in the temple and they say, oh, he, they must have come together. Uh, but those accusations are also false. But it seems like nobody really bothered to investigate or to ask Paul if any of this was true. They just hear the accusations and they uh, immediately form a mob and they start attacking Paul. Verse 30, all the city was stirred up. Again, probably hundreds of thousands, maybe even as much as two million people here. And the city is stirred up. They run together. Uh, They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Now, Paul could have been killed here. We've seen, uh, I'm sorry, Paul couldn't really have been killed here because we've seen in the last few chapters, uh, repeatedly, a prophecy was given to Paul that when he comes to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be bound in chains by the Romans and taken off to prison. And so Paul knows in this moment, he's not about to be killed by the Jews, uh, but they are quite angry and they do begin to beat Paul. Uh, The crowd is apparently large enough that this tribune of a cohort, that's a leader of a thousand soldiers, he brings the soldiers and all the centurions down there, and and again, probably hundreds, maybe as much as a thousand soldiers, to break up this mob and see what's going on. Verse 32, he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So though they didn't kill Paul, they had uh, beat him up quite a bit. Then the Roman officials get there and they immediately arrest Paul, which actually ends up saving his life. There's a mob going on. They're about to beat him to death. And so the soldiers come in. They tie Paul up. They arrest him. And the leading officer asks the crowd, what is it that Paul's done? Uh, Well, first of all, who is this? He doesn't know that it's Paul. Uh, Who is this guy? What has he done? Verse 33, the tribune came up and arrested him. They ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. Kind of reminds me of the the riot in Ephesus, the same sort of thing, a mob reaction to Paul uh, where nobody really even knows what they're they're attacking him for, but they just know they don't like him. Uh, And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So the the guy in charge, the leading officer here, he can't figure out what all this commotion is about. And so he arrests Paul, he takes him out of there, Uh, Verse 35, when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Uh, Eerily similar to the things uh, that this same crowd in Jerusalem had said about 25 years earlier uh, to Jesus. An angry mob trying to kill Paul, and they don't even know why they're trying to kill him. For his own safety, they place Paul under arrest. They take him away for questioning so they can figure out uh, what's going on and what had taken place here. Uh, But before Paul is taken away, he does get a chance to speak. And if you want to hear Paul's defense, you'll have to come back next week. Uh, A couple of applications as we close here. Number one, do your best to live at peace with others. Don't needlessly offend. Uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, if possible, So far as it depends on you, live live peaceably with all. Uh, Now, sometimes it doesn't all depend on you. Uh, The good example of this right here with the Apostle Paul. Uh, Sometimes, like in the case of these Jews from Ephesus, they just hate Paul. Uh, They're willing to lie and attack Paul for any reason. There really wasn't anything Paul could have done to live peaceably with them. But as far as the Christian Jews in Jerusalem, Paul was willing 
to go through some rituals and even at his own financial expense to try and help ease the tensions in the church there. He was willing to go through the sacrifices at the temple and go with these brothers who had a vow if it would help to unify the church. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews, saying that uh, he himself abided by their customs and their way of life, not because he had to, he understood there was freedom in Christ, he didn't have to live that way, but he did so in order to win them, in order to bring about unity and live at peace with them. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Uh, Paul said in another place, just giving a specific example of this concept, he didn't eat certain meats, not because it was wrong for him to do so, but because he knew it would offend some of his Jewish brothers. And so he was willing to give up that freedom if it would help him to live at peace with others. A second principle I think we, we can learn from this is not to falsely accuse someone. Be very careful about accusations you make against others. Paul wasn't even guilty of the things that he was being attacked for. People saw Paul with a Gentile earlier in the day, then they see him in the temple, and they just assume that he took the Gentile in with him. Uh, but Paul hadn't even done that. Uh, so the lesson for each of us there is just don't jump to conclusions. If you see something, uh, you see somebody doing something, you think, boy, that looks really bad. Uh, better for you to go and talk to the person face to face than to spread a rumor that may not even be true. Thirdly, don't automatically believe rumors. Kind of goes along with what we just said. Uh, bad enough that some people were jumping to conclusions about Paul and making false accusations, but apparently there were quite a few people in this crowd who were willing to physically assault Paul on the basis of someone else's accusations against him. They didn't even know if it was true. They just heard somebody saying, hey, get this guy, he's no good, and so they all attacked him. If you hear something critical of someone else, make sure you actually have the facts before taking any sort of action. Don't spread rumors. Uh, don't be the type of person that as soon as you hear something uh, negative about somebody else that you don't even know if it's true or not, you just start blabbing your mouth and spreading that out and tarnishing somebody else's reputation. Lastly, I think the lesson we learned from Paul is how to stand strong for the Lord in the face of persecution. We're going to see this more uh, next week and in the weeks to come. Uh, Paul doesn't have a pity party over the fact that he's being mistreated here. He doesn't lose his temper. Instead, Paul turns around to the crowds of people who were beating him moments before, and he preaches the gospel to them. He shares his testimony of how Jesus changed his life, uh, taking him from, uh, just like them, a Jew who persecuted Christians. Uh, even he, he mentions how he, he oversaw the execution of Stephen. And then he says, now, now that Jesus has changed me as a person, now I'm preaching uh, the gospel of Christ. And so over the next few weeks, we'll see that Paul repeatedly displayed this great example for us. When people persecute us for our faith in Christ, uh, don't respond in anger, 
Uh, don't respond getting defensive. And don't have a pity party for yourself, feeling sorry for yourself. Instead, follow the example of Paul. Use it as an opportunity to share your faith with others.